Let's pray together. God, maker of heaven and earth, you have given us all we need. Calm our fears, open our hearts, give us open hands as well to receive what you have for us and to let go of whatever needs to be released. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, and empower us to be your people through Christ. Amen. Well, Sheldon, you said it first. Talking about money and God may be the only thing more difficult than talking about sex in the church. But as you might have heard, the Bible speaks more about the poor and poverty, wealth and social justice than any other topic. And I know that some of you have spent a lot of time pondering these things, and some have not. So I ask that we would each enter the conversation from wherever you are in your life, and wherever you may be in reflecting on this topic. And let's practice patience and gentleness with each other as we head into this really complicated place, knowing that we all carry a lot of different feelings about money and a lot of different experiences. The whole sweep of salvation history shows God setting people free to live well in community, in a community that does justice, is devoted to the loyal compassion and solidarity that God models for us, and a community that walks honestly, openly, humbly with God. And from the beginning, God has been pretty pragmatic about this, giving very specific instructions for how this justice, this loyal compassion, and open relationship with God would happen in everyday life. And these instructions that God gives throughout the law and the prophets are inevitably concerned with how land and food and clothing are used and exchanged and shared so that people and the creation have what they need. From the beginning, the Creator gives us, as human beings, the gift of putting ourselves in context, recognizing that we are in relationship with other creatures and with the land. And a strong message from Genesis on is that God has created enough, and even more than enough, plenty for all, if we are willing to share with each other and to honor the creation and its rhythms. And as you know, there's also an assumption that communities 
who love and worship God will watch out for each other and prevent any from falling into complete poverty. And Old Testament writers state over and over that by doing so, we are imitating God who cares passionately for the needs and the well-being of those most at risk in society. But how does this translate into my everyday choices and how I live as a neighbor, especially in this time of globalized economies? How can we use the money that we have in a way that is loving to our neighbors, our neighbors in the widest sense? And how do we even know when that is happening? Well, I'm assuming that Craig and Chuck will be answering all those questions in the next couple weeks. Just kidding, but they might actually get closer than I would. The rich man in Luke 12 has too small of a context. He's looking at himself, his physical needs, and his current abundance. He has no idea what the future holds. And yet, he believes that he can guarantee his security and live comfortably for years and years to come. Isn't that, friends, the deceitful promise of our nation's attempt to dominate, whether it's economically or militarily? The rich man in Jesus' parable does not consider that he might give away or share his present abundance. Nor does he refer to God as he ponders what to do next. It's not that his desire to um, put something away is even wrong, but his household is too limited and his vision is too small. It's existing for its own preservation and he seems unaware of his being related to anything or anyone else. And it's this smallness of vision, believing that what he has is for himself only, that makes him poor towards God. Notice the way that land figures into this. In verse 16, it is the man's land that produces abundantly. It doesn't say the man worked really hard, which I'm sure he did, or put you know, a certain kind of fertilizer or a certain insecticide. It says the land produced abundantly. Not necessarily something he did. And this immediately puts him in relationship with the land, with God, the creator of the land. And according to the commandments, For example, the commandments regarding the harvests in Deuteronomy, once God had provided, as God said God would, a portion of the land's produce was then to be used for feasting with everyone who did not have access to land. Israelites, uh, like the Levites, who owned no land, and others who were vulnerable, like immigrants, orphans, widows the harvest to be justly shared, as Philip Newell puts it in his prayers. As we embark on this 
time together through these weeks, I'm finding the word in the New Testament for economy really useful, oikos. It's the place where we get, it's the, it's the word for household, and it's the source of the word economy. Oikos means household. And this month, we're pondering how we can manage and care for our household with open hands and with a deeper awareness. And I mean our small households at the family level, our common household of East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church, our lives as Christians in the wide household of God, which crosses all national boundaries, all tribal and ethnic identities. And the earth itself, as the household inhabited by all of us, all creatures, rocks, rivers, trees. And at all of these levels, do we experience abundance as a gift that we did not create? And human limits as a fact that is necessary for our common flourishing? From the microeconomy of a single household to the webs of money in a worldwide market, how can we deal lovingly with gifts, skills, needs, cooperation, limits, tensions, and nature's cycles, putting ourselves in proper context? When everything has been made a commodity, an object with a price, How can we relate subject to subject and give honor to rhythms of work and rest and relate to money with deeper awareness and freedom? Jesus stood squarely in his tradition as he emphasized God's deep and abiding care for people and for creatures who are small or particularly vulnerable children, people who are materially poor or landless, and anyone looked upon as other, and the sparrows, the ravens, the lilies. And are you not much more valuable than these? And Jesus does seem concerned here and in other places that those who are wealthy are free to live without their possessions possessing them. I was very grateful for the ways that you shared with me this week. And I'd like to share with you an overview of of some of what I received. Many of us, as you know, I'm sure, choose to shop locally Uh, with locally owned businesses and of course since we are living in a land flowing with milk and honey it is often easy to buy locally grown food. A couple of you wrote to me about sharing lawnmowers and snowblowers with neighbors with a variety of benefits, some surprising. 
from having someone who is able to operate a machine that feels too large and unwieldy to receiving unexpected gifts for your household. A practice which caught on so much in the neighborhood that you knew the kind of winter we'd had by how many of these gifts you had received. Some of you have been part of small groups that discuss their budgets and income quite openly together. This is something I've heard other congregations doing as well, and uh, just putting it out there that I'd be interested in something like that. Some of you have a passion for cooperatively owned businesses and even wonder about alternative currency, local currency, or just alternative currency. I need to learn more about that. And I noticed that we have a variety of thinking regarding the significant portion of our federal taxes um, that go to fund the military, the U.S. military, and wars that are waged on our behalf. And I'm, sh- I'm not sure, uh, actually maybe some of you can help me with this, when we last had a conversation in this congregation about war tax resistance and... Um, how to understand that. So maybe that's another opportunity for open conversations to shed light on what kinds of choices are being made among us, how they're made, and why. Some of you might remember uh, an ambivalence that I expressed uh, in my candidating sermon about receiving a full-time salary in coming to pastor here knowing that it would require me to face questions that I had avoided by not making very much prior to that. Now, recognizing that choosing to live near the poverty line is a privilege itself, and in my case is greatly simplified by the fact that I have no dependents, recognizing those things, living on less and living in Christian community, were ways that I tried simultaneously to find support and challenge in living my faith and to uh, mostly avoid direct and explicit support of our nation's approximately $600 billion defense budget. But even so, I found that my appetite for more immersed as I am, as we all are, in a culture of bigger, better, faster, more, my desire to buy things did not shrink to fit my income. And even with shared expenses and really very low household expenses, I found it difficult to live within my means. Maybe partly because of my background in a middle-to-upper-middle-class household. Maybe I lacked the skills to live on a low income. Maybe I didn't give myself long enough to work through my materialism. And then there was the strange and unexpected challenge of a surplus of Mennonite pastors in Allentown. But in any case, I came here feeling that I had failed at living at poverty level and didn't know what to do with my new and, for me, slightly shocking salary. I'm sure this sounds ridiculous, (laughs) but it's my story. (laughs) So 
truly, now more than ever, I need a community to process the questions of ethical and joyful living in this land of the free market of spending and accumulating. We've all made attempts, and we all have some practices that we feel good about. And I suspect that I'm in good company also in having failed my own expectations and hopes. And I'm still fairly ignorant about what might be possible, and even what you all have tried. I'm eager to learn and to have space in church where we can do some sorting out and maybe even some choosing and acting together. There is so much that we are able to do together, much more than we can do individually. And I'm very grateful for Craig and Chuck's passion around this in particular. And some of us may still choose to opt out to the best of our ability. And those who do not need not judge those who do, and vice versa. Recognizing, of course, that truly opting out is almost impossible given that capitalism is the air, or part of the air that we breathe. But rather than judging each other or being afraid to speak openly, we need honest conversations about this together. God's economy is an economy of wholeness in which nothing and no one is left out. And perhaps we can practice that even here among us in this place. I've attempted to outline a tiny bit of the wisdom that I believe scripture and our creator offer us. And there are many more questions than answers, to be sure. As we move further into these conversations, I offer you words from my beloved New Testament professor, Mary Schertz. The goal of these discussions in the light of Christ is not perfect answers. It's not perfect Christians or perfect congregations or a perfect world. The goal is light, free, joyous Christians. And light, free, joyous communities of faith. The goal is Christians and communities of Christians who can tackle hard questions and come to hard conclusions with an uplifted heart, a lightness of being. May we, by God's grace, taste some of this joy and freedom as we walk with Christ through these weeks. Amen.